Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday, the ninth morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2020. It also happens to be Thursday during Holy Week. And that, of course, makes this Holy Thursday a very important time for Christians uh, around the world. And, of course, that includes all of us. I'll repeat what I said at the beginning of the program. It's hard, I know, to not be able to go to worship. It's hard not to be able to go and commemorate uh, the passion and the death of our Lord today and tomorrow on those holy days of obligation. And then, of course, this is for Catholics, and then, of course, to celebrate Easter Sunday. But Easter is bigger, and Jesus' rising is bigger than any building, and it is bigger than any congregation. It's uh, something we acknowledge in our hearts, and that's what we're going to have to do during this very difficult time of... Um, of a ban on worshiping due to government uh, government orders uh, under the fear and the hysteria of the coronavirus. It's with that backdrop that I bring our guest, our regular Thursday guest onto the program, who can say those types of things so much better than I, and really better than most people I've ever heard try. And that is uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who is the former president of Oklahoma, Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He is an evangelical Christian, by the way. He's a best-selling author. He is a uh, highly sought-after speaker and a pundit and a columnist weekly for the Washington Times. And, Dr. Piper, it's good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. Uh, happy Passion Week. I don't know if that's the right way for me to greet you or not, but uh, pr- <laughs> premature and early Happy Easter. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, it, they say that, you know, you say happy, whatever the event is. And, of course, it's not happy. It's solemn. It's it's um, something that should be very uh, personal to everybody. But, you know, the, that's the kind of way you say I even said let's celebrate Holy Weekend, you know, the Holy Week, and celebrate Holy Thursday and, and Good Friday tomorrow. Well, these are the, the night that the, Jesus is arrested and tortured and then killed tomorrow. We don't celebrate that. But it's just another way of saying commemorate uh, that important time. Can you speak a little bit more on that, uh, Dr. Piper, about 
the importance of, you know, because your column last week about Palm Sunday, uh, what I thought was was very poignant. Um, you know, it's Palm Sunday. Go take a nap. It will be okay. Um, talk about the inability to get together and worship and how we can uh, we can still find a way to celebrate, again, using that word in the proper context, uh, these holy moments on the uh, Christian calendar. Well, let me give the context for the title that I chose. It's Palm yes. Sunday, Take a Nap. It will be okay. I'm actually referring to a sermon that Dietrich Bonhoeffer delivered during the height of World War II. And as you all know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer excuse me, was a Lutheran pastor who stood against the Third Reich. He actually stood against Hitler. He stood against Nazi socialism. As a result of that, he was executed days before the end of World War II in a Nazi prison camp. He was hanged by the neck until death. But in one of his sermons that he delivered in the height of this, he said... <clears throat> He used the passage in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, of Jesus getting into the boat. He chose to get into the boat. He knew the storm was coming. He's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's God incarnate. He's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb. But yet this man, this God, this sovereign deity, Jesus, knew the storm was coming, but yet he got in the boat and he instructed his disciples to do the same. What's the lesson? Bonhoeffer said this, in the midst of the storm that Jesus sovereignly knew was coming, he went to sleep. And he said, only faith, only the ultimate faith in God's sovereignty and control and his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence, only faith can allow you to sleep in the midst of the storm. The the disciples didn't, Jesus did. So my title basically is this, it's Palm Sunday, it's Passion Week, Easter is upon us, it will be okay. Take a nap. Have faith. Go to sleep, if you will. And I'm not suggesting that means inactivity. I'm suggesting that it means the power of faith. I say in this passage, as you know, the lesson of Passion Week is this. Christ is Lord over the hopes and dreams of Palm Sunday. He's Lord over the desperation and despair of Good Friday. He is Lord over the redemption and awe the celebration and praise of Easter. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the sovereign one who existed before anything else existed, the second person of the Trinity, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, is not surprised by this. He is God. He's got this. That is so well stated. Uh, even in summary, is as good as the actual text of your of your article, your column. Um, just to hit that second to last point there again, <laughs> excuse me, to tie to what I was talking about and not about not being able to get together and congregate and celebrate the risen Lord on Sunday. Uh, Jesus is Lord over the celebration of Easter, and I take that to mean you know, in addition to the way you just described it, we don't have to be there. We don't, you know, as much as we want to be. The Lord and, and Jesus, and I, and I, gosh, I certainly hope I do not sound like I'm trying to preach. I'm so highly unqualified for that. But, but just in a very general layman sense here, um, we don't need the church. The church is a building, or excuse me, the church is not a building. The church is within us. Um, and, and again, it doesn't matter which uh, denomination you you ascribe yourself to. But the the, the risen Lord uh, and the celebration of Easter takes place in each one of us. We don't have to be in a particular building. As hard as it is, we'd rather, we'd like to be. We want to greet our fellow man and share the the joy of the risen Lord with everybody. But that isn't what it's about. Jesus 
Jesus is Lord over the celebration. Jesus is Lord over everything that might limit our uh, congregational celebration. Uh, there's an old evangelical um, saying that just because you're born in a garage doesn't make you a car. In other words, the location, the building, the garage does not define you. And we've always applied that in evangelical terms terms to the building of the church. Growing up in the church, the building, being part of the uh, operation and the function of the building does not necessarily make you a Christian. Jesus said that you must be born again. Jesus talks about the confession, the repentance, the redemption, and the rebirth of the Christian faith. That makes you part of the body of Christ. That is the Church. The Church, as you just said, is not a building. The Church is the living, breathing body of Christ. There's an old um, monk, John Michael Talbot, who had a song, and he said this, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You are his hands, you are his feet, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Jesus could do it a lot better than you or me, Bob. I don't know why he's charged you and me to be his hands, his feet, his mouth, and eyes, but he has. And we need to rise to the challenge and recognize that Christ has no body now on earth but yours. We are the church. And fear not, God's got this. Take a nap. Jesus knows what's coming, and he's got this. That's uh, such a great uh, a great analysis. Dr. Piper, let's pivot to the uh, issue that we really want to believe, and we should believe, and we have faith in, and that is that Jesus and, and the Lord has um, the, all of us, I guess, uh, when it comes to this pandemic and uh, the number of people who are dying from and a number of other people who are suffering in myriad ways from the cure for the pandemic. Uh, I shared with you, Earlier this week, uh, a statement I did, it's, you, I thought of you when I saw the, uh, the uh, uh, dateline being Choctaw County, Oklahoma. An Oklahoma sheriff talking about fear-mongering, talking about, um, uh, about the panic and the hysteria that this thing has caused, actually uh, made a social media post. Choctaw County Sheriff Terry Park said this, People of Choctaw County, if you're not going to stay away from crowds, then please get yours and your kids' burial policy paid up and get your heart right with God. This C-19 virus isn't going away soon. Remember that if you get put in the hospital, your family can't stay with you. Um, i got to tell you, that was aggressive. Uh, I thought it was unnecessary, and I think it's a part of the hysteria that we are suffering from right now in many ways. Dr. Piper, as we are suffering from the virus itself. Again, Bob, I am not denying that the virus is real. I am not a denier, okay? It's not a hoax. We actually are facing um, a disease that's called COVID-19, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to be smart and prudent, but we shouldn't be virus-shaming everybody into silence who wants to raise their hand and say, wait a second, context. What are we doing? Are we willing to sacrifice our freedoms because we're fearful? And that's the way I received this report. And frankly, the mainstream media is guilty of sensationalism once again. I said to you, I think we should take this sheriff's words with a grain of salt. And here are a couple reasons why. As of April 2nd, 0.00018% of Oklahomans had the virus. As of April 2nd, 0.00009% of Oklahomans had the virus. In Choctaw County, how many people had the virus? Two. <laughs> Two. 
But yet we get this exaggerated statement from a sheriff who's trying to do his job, but yet the media grabs a hold of it and makes that the poster child of what's going on in Oklahoma. Context is always king. Don't virus shame anyone who wants to raise their hand and say, what? And everybody who is asking logical questions, you can't claim that they're somehow typhoid Mary for doing so. We need to take this guy's comments with a grain of salt and look at the whole picture. I would do that if you were alone. I, I would take him with a grain of salt, and I would perhaps dismiss it as being a one-off. But sadly, he and others are sharing the very same messaging. I want to give you a couple of other examples and get your reaction to that as we continue. One more segment with Dr. Piper coming on AM 1420, The Answer. now with our guest dr everett piper uh on during this holy week this passion week obviously it's a difficult time for everybody we're trying to make a little bit of sense out of everything while keeping our faith and dealing with science and it's the science that we're talking about now and more importantly it's the reaction to the uh, science of the uh, of the uh, COVID-19 virus. Dr. Piper, the reaction has been one of panic in a lot of our leaders, unfortunately, and it's been one of hysteria being advanced as well. We just talked about a sheriff in Choctaw County. Let's talk about a prosecutor now in um, uh, Hamilton County, Ohio. A Hamilton County prosecutor, Joe Dieters, said this earlier this week uh, to stay-at-home violators. You are attempting, in my mind as a prosecutor, to commit serious physical harm to people. And that is felonious assault. You So fine, sit your butt in a jail. You can sit there and kill yourself. I don't care. But you're not going to kill my kids, and you're not going to kill my neighbor's kids. I'm done with this nonsense. So we'll see what happens. Boy, talk about calm leadership at a time of uh, you know, a trying time for, uh, uh, for the population. Um, what is your assessment of leaders like this and their over-the-top reactions and hysteria of you are going to kill people, so go ahead and kill yourself? I, I just have to stop, and my, this analogy breaks down a little bit. I'm the first one to admit it, but I'm going to use it anyway. Okay. I just have to wonder if, had he been alive during the American Revolution, the onset of it, if he would have looked Jefferson and Washington and Adams and the crew in the eye and said, if you want to kill yourself and kill your own families, fine, go ahead, start your revolution, but I'm not going to, and if I'm in charge, I'll sit your butts in jail. Would he have said that? Because, indeed, our nation was founded on the fact that we had men that were willing to put their property, their families, their estate, and their lives on the line for what? Freedom. Now, does the analogy break down when we're talking about a contagion as, a verse to, as, as opposed to rising up against tyranny? Perhaps. But are we willing to sit back as a people and be silent like sheep? In the face of all these authoritarian comments, I hope the answer is no. I hope we're willing to ask questions like, are life and liberty both paramount values in America? Is liberty still a first thing for Americans, and are we willing to set it aside every time we fear that we're getting sick? Is liberty a self-evident truth and an inalienable right, like we're told it is in our seminal documents? Are we willing to defend liberty as vigorously as we seek to protect our lives? Are we willing to do as our founding fathers did and ask and, excuse me, risk our lives in the, the defense of liberty? 
You know, we, these are questions that I think every human being should be asking right now in America. That doesn't mean I'm going to be arrogant and rub your nose in my freedom. The Apostle Paul tells us that if eating meat offends my brother, then I shouldn't eat meat. In other words, be humble. And just because I have the freedom to eat meat, as the Apostle Paul used in an analogy, that doesn't mean I should do it if it offends other people of weaker conscience. So I would use this analogy today, Bob. If refusing to social distance offends my brother, then I probably shouldn't refuse to social distance. But that's my choice. That's my choice within my liberty, my freedom, and the responsibility I have as, citizen, as a citizen, as a Christian. It's not the government's right to force me. So I'm going to do both. I think I can have my cake and eat it, too. I can honor social distancing, which I do, but I can at the same time stand on the top of the roofs and say the government has no business telling me I have to. I choose to out of humility. I refuse to bow to the government. That is very powerful. Um, I wish I could remember because it was a short, about a minute or two before you finished, you said, uh, you, you mentioned the founding fathers uh, being willing to give, I'm paraphrasing, give, willing to give their lives in defense of liberty or willing to risk their lives in defense of liberty, something in that context. And that is what we're talking about here, is it not? The president and almost everybody else has said this is a war. This is kind of, we have to make wartime decisions here. Well, in, in, in World War II, for example, we knew we were going to bow. We knew we were going to lose lives. We knew if we tried to storm the beachhead, we, uh, beachheads, we were going to lose lives. No question about it. But we had to make sure that we didn't lose the, 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 the war as opposed to certain lives in a battle. To, to kind of make that analogy work here, 16.6 million people have been put out of work in the last three weeks. That's counting today's number, 6.6 million. How many of those people aren't going to be able to feed their families? How about deaths of starvation, deaths from lack of medicine because health care plans are gone when you get fired, et cetera, et cetera, or laid off? How many lives are going to be lost in the big picture here because we are not willing to put people back to work so that the, the you know, the, and I know we're past our time here, but so that the bigger battle or the war can be won knowing that, yes, some lives may be lost in the effort, but, but there are far more that we are going to save. Dr. Piper, I know we're past our time, but take 30 seconds just to wrap that. All right. We live in a broken world. People die. You're going to die, Bob. I'm going to die. This is not a perfect world. There are other values that we should hold dear as human beings, and one of those is liberty. We are told that we are endowed by our Creator with certain self-evident truths, unalienable rights. Among them, life and liberty. Is that a paramount value? Do we want to be a free people at the end of this day, at the end of this day of pandemic and panic? Do we want to be a free people? If so, we better start defending liberty as much as we defend life. Very well done. Dr. Piper, I will close with your words. Jesus is, uh, from your column and, uh, and quoting, Jesus is not caught off guard. The surging seas of crisis do not intimidate nor scare him. He is in charge. Let's all remember that. Uh, a very blessed, uh, holy, and passion week and, uh, and Easter celebration to you, Dr. Piper, and we'll talk to you next week. Blessings. Thank you. 1030, uh, Dr. Piper to Attorney Kersenow, next on AM 1420, The Answer.
1035 onward we roll on AM 1420 the answer so while warden dewine has us uh in uh, almost 24 hour isolation what are you going to do if you've got a computer and especially if you can hook it up to your big screen or maybe you have a smart TV where you can just go ahead and log on to the internet through your television. I highly recommend No Safe Spaces. Available now at nosafespaces.com. It was the number one political documentary of 2019. Available to watch now at home with one low price to watch it as many times as you want. And that low price gets lower when you use our discount code, which is SAVE25. SAVE25 saves you 25% off the price of No uh, no Safe Spaces, which got a 99% approval rating from audiences at RottenTomatoes.com, the highest rating for any film last year. It's simply amazing. Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla. Revealing, quite frankly, how far America has fallen, how we've become a dangerous place to speak your mind and share ideas. It's funny, it's entertaining, it's aggravating, it's sad also. Uh, but it's a sobering reminder that no matter who you are, if you think or say something the radical left doesn't like, they will take you down. No safe spaces. Uh, look, log, it on, log on to it rather at nosafespaces.com. And again, use that discount code, SAVE25, for 25% off of the uh, phenomenal movie by Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla. Speaking of phenomenal, the brilliant Peter Kirstenau is back with us once again. Peter uh, had kind of an abbreviated visit yesterday and said, hey, I'm not done. I've got more to say if you've got time for me to say it. And I said, are you kidding? We always make time for Peter Kirstenau. So bonus appearance uh, by our friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author. Hey, Pete, how you doing, buddy? Bob, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. 151 days until the Browns open against the Ravens. They will open against the Ravens. Major League Baseball better start soon. The American people are tired of this. And I'll tell you, um, you know, I'm out and about. Uh, I mean, I think this is a serious virus, as I said yesterday. I'm taking it seriously. I'm taking all the precautions, which don't take a whole lot of time or energy to, to engage in. But uh, a week ago, I was downtown, and there was nobody on the street. It looked like a scene from The Walking Dead. There was hardly anybody on the interstates. But that is changing. I think that there's kind of this uh, bubbling up of pressure, and people are getting out more, and they're demanding go to work. And I think, um, you know, as you and I have talked about, a lot of this is based on the ridiculous projections that we have been inundated with from our uh, governments, from the media, and, uh, again, when I say ridiculous, I don't mean that this is something that we shouldn't take seriously and we should be listening to the so-called experts, but I think one of the things that is going to be a fallout from the entire coronavirus episode, which may last for a while, will be this, uh, I think, a reduction in the deferral to so-called expertise, because we've had all these experts get up there and make these wild projections that they keep revising downward and downward and downward. There's estimates, and I know you've been covering this very, very intensely, but, you know, we talked about yesterday, the initial projection of 1.6 to 2 million uh, potential um, deaths in the United States from coronavirus, and then they went down to 100, 200,000, then 83,000, now we're at 60,000. In New York City, they said 75,000 people are going to be hospitalized, and that's the epicenter of the United States coronavirus epidemic. And there's only, only it's too many, but from 75,000 to 1,800. In Minnesota, they had projected 74,000 deaths, 74,000 deaths in Minnesota alone. Then they went down to 50, then to 6. They've had 39 deaths thus far, each one obviously a tragedy, but we are currently tracking in Ohio at about one-half, actually one-third, 
to one-half the deaths that we typically have in an ordinary flu season. But the damage is real, not speculative. You, we've heard this morning about the unemployment rates, which are staggering. And you know, Bob, I've talked about this with you for at least 35 years every week and every month I, I look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports. I've never, ever, ever seen anything like this. That's real damage to real people and companies, real livelihoods that unfortunately aren't being calibrated and balanced properly in the context of coronavirus. I think we are deferring to experts who have been wrong, and I know they're doing the best they can. My goodness, I, I don't think that they are out there making stuff up just for the heck of it, but they've been spectacularly wrong, and we have to adjust to those errors and start to look critically at the real damage being done to the economy, to people's lives, there are ancillary effects to this. So um, I think that's one of the first, you know, when we are in boom times like we've had been, the greatest economy in history, there's a tendency to engage in or uh, defer to kind of petty indulgences of the left. You know, the left would tell us, you know, we can't use plastic bags and, you know, we have to have transgender bathrooms and all kinds of things that in good times, okay, the mind can wander to those kinds of things. But now crises concentrate the mind wonderfully. And those kinds of liberal uh, you know, indulgences, as I've indicated, I think they start to go by the wayside. And when we emerge from this, I think there's a whole litany of liberal indulgences that, no, no doubt, they'll continue to press but are going to have much less marketability because people will have far less tolerance for, number one, the experts, so-called experts. But number two, anything that doesn't really get to the guts of who we are as Americans, the curbs on our liberties, the dangers in terms of throwing us out of work because of uh, liberals and experts coming up with these you know, expansive programs that really haven't affected how we live or reduced where we are in terms of this virus substantially. So anyway, that was, uh, I know I just launched there, but it, this is starting to get to a point which I suspect a number of Americans um, concur that we are starting to say, look, um, it's time for America to become America again. We have the ability, we have the fortitude, we have the freedom, we have the technological ability to work in the context of even this pandemic. Peter, uh, we're talking to Peter Kersenow, uh bonus Kersenow for you this week on AM 1420, The Answer. <clears throat> um, you said in the middle of your, of your comments, um, when we emerge from this, um, I guess I'm asking, Pete, when or if we are going to emerge from this. Dr. Acton, who I call Dr. Labcoat for her insistence on wearing her little white lab coat to every single briefing that she does with Governor DeWine, just to scream at people, I am a doctor, I swear I am. Look, look, it says so right here. Nobody else does that, by the way. None of the other doctors working on this on the task force do this, but she's got to uh, exert her authority by her little white coat. And I find it hilarious. I find it, quite frankly, very, very weak. Um, but she said last night on WKYC, talking to Russ Mitchell, that this isn't going to end on April 30th when the uh, state, uh, uh, you know, when uh, DeWine has kind of temporarily set that as the benchmark. She said we're going to be dealing with this for two years. Quote, 
this virus isn't going away. It's going to spread. You see it in countries in Asia that are worried about it being reintroduced. Not their entire populations were sick with this disease, so there are still lots of folks able to catch it. So until we have a vaccine and actual population-level immunity, those of us who haven't been sick in the first peak are still vulnerable. That's why the vaccine is so important. This was in response to a question from Russ Mitchell that said we could be dealing with this for two years. So our answer is yes. Um, Pete, I, I have no reason to think Mike DeWine won't listen to her and extend whatever this woman says, who has been so wrong every step of the way. And I don't want to hear anybody telling us, no, well, no, she, her projections would have been right, but then we introduced social distancing and mitigation, and that's why the numbers are low. She's right. Let's keep doing it. Baloney. The models were already include, already had included the formulas for mitigation, and they were still off by percentages that are un- unfathomable we're not she is somehow has been elected governor um, or at least she's been appointed as such by governor dewine i'm going to talk to him wednesday live and, and i'm going to ask him about all of this but she seems like she's calling the shots pete and she says we're going to be dealing with with this for two years do they honestly think we can disrupt the state of ohio's economy even a fraction of what they're doing right now and have us survive for two years the American people and Ohioans have a say in all this, and you're absolutely right, Bob. No one elected her to anything. I appreciate the job that she's trying to do, and I understand it's difficult circumstances, but we do not defer to medical professionals when it comes to things that transcend medicine. And this virus has, number one, a health component to it, no doubt about it, but it has ancillary effects that are dramatic on the economy, on our freedoms. We elect a governor and we elect a president. We don't elect a doctor-in-chief. This deferral to authority, deferral to expertise is going to hurt us. But the American people and Ohioans have a say in this. Right now, we've got 700,000 Ohioans in the last three weeks who've been thrown out of work, at least $2.5 billion in lost wages as a result. This is extraordinary. We have 190 Ohioans who have died. Again, each one is horrible. But again, we're tracking at about one-third to one-half the rate of Ohioans who die from the flu every season. This is a serious disease, but we can handle this, I think. We, we, we take it as seriously as it, it projects, but in, in a realistic projection, which keeps coming down, but rampant testing, for example, now... Believe me, I am not an authority on this. I'm simply using my brain and authorities out there who want to add to this, revise it. Feel free to do so, obviously. But if we engaged in wholesale testing, and this way we could determine who has it, who has immunity to it, who can't get it anymore, those kinds of folks can go to work, can do whatever they want to. The rest of us, if we still have it or are susceptible to it, there are prophylactic measures that can be taken that were already taken, the, the sanitation, the use of gloves and masks and, you know, barriers and so on and so forth. Americans can figure this kind of thing out. And again, it has to be done in context and perspective. This has not turned out to be the million, two million, three million death scenario that everyone had projected. Right now, we're talking about 60,000, which is the same as the flu season of 2018, 2019. And I think everyone in your audience is mature enough to understand when we're talking about deaths, we are not being flippant about it at all. We, we understand the gravity of it, but we also understand the gravity 
of the economic impact on this, which has a health impact, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, has a significant health impact. Millions of Americans out of work. I've never seen numbers like this in my career. As 16.6 million in back. three weeks. Yeah, 16.6, Pete, in three weeks. And that'll, that'll grow by another 6 million or so next Thursday and another 6 million or so the Thursday after that, unless somebody gets out in front of this and gets us back to work. Now, I can tell the president's getting impatient. He announced yesterday uh, that uh, they will unveil a second coronavirus task force. The first one chaired by Mike Pence or headed up by Mike Pence, including Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks etc. is related to the virus itself and the mitigation. This one is going to be the economic task force. Mark Meadows, Larry Kudlow, Steve Mnuchin, and many others, a mix of private sector and top administration officials are going to come up with a plan to uh, revive this economy sooner rather than later. Um, Do you have faith in this and in the president's plan? You know, uh, if there's one individual that I have faith in, but he's not infallible, I'm very happy that President Trump is our president during this time period. Uh, Imagine what would happen if we had a President Obama. Um, You know, we'd be on lockdown forever. But the president, I think, gets it. His initial instincts seemed to be correct. Remember, he wanted to open up by Easter. And I think he understands that right now he's trying to draw the appropriate balance between health concerns, which are significant, but also economic concerns, which are now, if you're talking about a balance, I think all good faith Americans, you know, with all due deference to the health implications, understand that the economic implications now are so titanic that they have to be taken into consideration, that they may be even outweighing some of the health concerns because they do have ancillary health concerns as well as economic concerns. So I do think he's going to make a push toward this. I, he, he seems to be almost champing at the bit when you see him trying to say, look, we've got to well, he, return to some form of normalcy he closed uh, so yesterday's he closed yesterday i'm sorry pete uh, he closed yesterday's briefing with the words we've got to get our country open that yep. is very telling to me and that's obviously very important to all of us okay we're going to take our quick time out here we'll come back with a few more thoughts from peter kirsten now to wrap it up on am 1420 the answer Ten fifty four. As we continue and wrap it up with Peter Kirsten out now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Pete. The uh, the other big part of all of this that I've been focusing on the last two days, and I want to get your thoughts on now. And I know we covered it somewhat yesterday, but about the numbers and what we can count and what we, we can trust and what we cannot trust. You mentioned the models. You mentioned Amy Acton and so on and how wrong they've been. That's just on predictions of the spread of the disease and the number of deaths. Now we need to talk about the actual counting of the dead. Um, we have seen numerous examples, and the latest was a doctor who is also a state senator in Minnesota who came on, did a, uh, an interview on a Minnesota television station yesterday and saying they got a seven-page directive from the Minnesota Director of Health telling them how to code uh, uh, death certificates as being COVID-19 even if COVID-19 was not the cause of their deaths. He mentioned one patient who was 86 years old who had pneumonia who was going to die, but he was was exposed at some point to a family member who wasn't even symptomatic at the time, but later on uh, it tested positive for COVID-19. So they used that six degrees of separation to say, oh, well, he didn't die from pneumonia. He died from COVID-19. The the counting, it's kind of like elections, right? It's not the voters. It's the people that count the votes that really are, are the most important here. 
Right, and you know, it's not just happening in Minnesota, it's happening in a number of other states where we've gotten inflated numbers where there's an underlying condition they will still ascribe coronavirus to the death as opposed to what maybe the precipitating factor could have been that underlying illness. illness. It's almost as if somebody's driving along a highway who has heart disease, gets into a crash and gets killed, and they say cause of death, heart disease. And that's what's going on. I think it's inflating some of the coronavirus numbers. I say once again, serious disease, but I think we're inflating its impact. I know we've wildly inflated the projections that thankfully aren't coming to pass, but there is significant real damage being done to people's lives, the economy, and uh, how we comport ourselves as Americans. Again, we are we, we're kind of setting up a superstructure of authority up there, people for whom we have not voted. There's a reason why we vote for certain people, and we don't put some bureaucrat in charge of managing the entire economy. But if there's a upside to this, I think when we emerge, as I said at the outset, there's going to be less deferral to so-called expertise than we had in the past, but also the petty liberal indulgences that you can indulge in boom times now I think are going to be a little bit more difficult to sell. Open borders, for example, um, outsourcing all of our production with respect to vital inf- uh, medicines, steel, technology to China, um, you know, a ban on fracking, for example, when we need energy desperately. Uh, those kinds of things, I think, are going to be tougher cells than they were before. Just a little thing like, you know, they, they say don't use cloth bags because they may transmit the bi- grocery bags because they may transmit the virus. Now we're going back to plastic bags. <laughs> This also uh, allegiance so many have, especially among the progressives, to international organizations like the World Health Organization or the UN. I think this puts in stark relief how politicized, first of all, and biased those organizations are, but also their roaring ineptitude that is contrary to American ideals and American interests. They're hostile to us. For them to insulate the communist Chinese government and then blame the United States or try to go after a Donald Trump is reprehensible, and it's even more reprehensible that our media facilitates those types of attacks. Pete, I've got a minute and a half left, actually about 75 seconds. I'm going to let you to use them on Bernie Sanders. Actually, moreover, on Joe Biden, I guess, would be the best way to go here. It's official now. Bernie has dropped. Uh, Joe is in, and so it's one-on-one, Joe versus President Trump. You satisfied with that? You feel confident about that? Um, I think the Democrats aren't confident with it. I think that they are they're pulling out their hair because they know Biden is not, not a very good candidate. He, it it looks, due respect to him, it looks as if he um, is not all there. But more importantly, I think, and not more importantly, but one thing that needs to be considered is Joe Biden in the last two weeks was credibly, far more credibly accused of sexual assault than was Judge, now Justice Kavanaugh. Yet, radio silence. I get that the big issue out here right now is coronavirus, but we have a presidential candidate, a presumed nominee, who has been credibly charged, and the media is silent about it. That's right. Me Too doesn't count. Me Too doesn't count when it's one of their own. Pete, I hate to cut you off, but we are done. Uh, Peter Kirsten, thank you, my friend. Have a blessed Easter. And I want to say the same thing to our staff. Thanks to uh, to, uh, Andrew and to Marcy and to Derek and everybody else. Have a blessed Easter weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.